It's been almost three years since my family packed up everything we had in Boston and moved back here to Austin. For those of you who may not know, we had left Austin and moved up to Boston so that I could attend and get a degree from Boston University. It's the years I think of as our self-imposed exile up in the north. But it's been almost three years since my husband and my two kids and I pulled into this very familiar parking lot and parked our car in our space. Since we walked into the narthex, the entry here, and then immediately walked into this worship space just to rest in the beautiful woodwork and stone here. As some of you may recall, our family had been members here since 2000 when we first moved to Austin. Our children were baptized right here. My mother-in-law's memorial service was held in this space. My brother-in-law was married in this church. And my father-in-law remarried his sweet wife, Billy, here in this church. So when we walked into this space and one of my children under her breath said, we're home, I knew exactly what she meant. With tears of gratitude streaming down my face, I was just standing here in gratitude that in all of God's wisdom, in God's infinite wisdom, God had called me back here to this place, to this church, to this body of Christ. That morning, I felt like I could have stood here in this sanctuary for hours, for days, for weeks. I was home, and I wanted to shout and sing and praise God. I was home. But as much as I wanted to linger here in this room, I also knew that God had called me here for a reason, and God had work for me to do here. So when I think about this passage of Isaiah that he wrote to the Israelites, I sort of get it. The Israelites, remember, had been forced into exile by the Babylonians. They were forced to march out of their land. And as they left and they looked behind them, they watched the Babylonians tearing their temple apart stone by stone. They leveled that temple. And now, 70 years later, the Israelites have made it back to this land. It's not the same people who left. You can do the math, right? It's going to be the children and the grandchildren of the people who left who had heard about this country, this land, this temple, their homes. They'd heard about all the stories. And they were back to rebuild. And at the time this passage was written, they've returned they're in the process of rebuilding, but they're also praising God. They're singing to God and giving thanks for the, all that God has done to bring them home. I understand that feeling. But Isaiah tells us that they're stuck. They're stuck in gratitude mode. They want to linger in their temple and shed tears of gratitude. They're stuck. They order and reorder their worship, trying to get it just right. But true worship isn't simply a reordering of liturgy. 
True worship is actually reordering the life of the worshipers. And through this passage of Isaiah, God says to them, you are forgetting that I have called you back here for a reason. You are forgetting that I have work for you to do in this land. The passage passage tells us you're holding the Sabbath at the same time as you are oppressing others. You're fighting and brawling with each other and then coming into worship as if nothing's happened. That is not why I called you back, says God. I have work for you to do. And God goes on in the passage and spells out exactly what that work is. Bring freedom to the people who are not free. Feed the hungry. House the homeless. Clothe the naked. Stop arguing and fighting and blaming each other. I know you're just back from exile. I know you're trying to rebuild your world. But don't leave others behind. Don't abandon them while you rebuild, God says. And I can picture the Israelites shaking their heads and saying, God, you're asking a lot of us. We're really busy. We're trying to get back on our feet, and we just want to sing and dance and thank you for all you've done for us, for all you've given to us. But now you've added this long list of really big things to do. How are we going to tackle all of it? And I can imagine that some of you, after five weeks of this series on social justice, may have a similar feeling. You may be thinking, Pastor Tracy, Pastor Lisa, you've put a lot of social justice issues in front of us. This is a long list of really big things. How are we going to tackle all of it? You're right. We have given you a long list. We've talked about political divisiveness, sexism, gun violence, immigration, and DACA, and racism. That's a lot. But you know what? We've left out even more. We haven't yet mentioned environmentalism, religious tolerance, poverty, including homelessness and the hungry, sexuality, inequality, access to health care, unjust legal systems and incarceration, labor laws, just to name a few. Friends, God is calling us here for a reason. God has work for us to do. All of us, not you as an individual sitting there in your seat, but all of us. Usually we get a lot of very positive feedback on sermon series, and this has been no exception. A lot of you are really excited. You love the waterfall, the visuals, the music, and all of that. But I'm the kind of person that if somebody says something even slightly negative, that's the one that sticks with me. Is there anybody else like that? Yeah. And 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 I I say negative, but I have to I have to say they aren't even negative, they're just conversations. And I love having conversations with you all about worship and what you're learning and what's poking you and provoking you to move further. We want to do that. But I wanted to talk about some of the things that, that I've had discussions about with this series. Some of you have said you're not so sure. You're not so sure if these topics actually belong in the church. I mean, 
You come to church to escape all that, to get away from the outside world. And you enter this, this space and you want peace. You want to worship and sing praises and give thanks to God. And I absolutely get what you're saying. This space is a sanctuary for me on a very personal level, as I said. It's a space that brings me peace and hope and joy. It's a place with dear, sweet memories of, of baptisms and weddings and confirmations. It's a space where we've said goodbye to the people we love. It's a place we come to inhale God's love and God's grace. But once you inhale, you can't hold it forever, can you? Eventually, you've got to go out into the world and exhale. And when you do, remember, you are exhaling that love and that grace of God to everybody around you. These social justice topics, they're hard to talk about, they're hard to listen to, and they're even harder to do something about. But here's the rub. We see this in this passage to, to, uh, by Isaiah. When we come to worship and ignore those around us who need our help, the weak and the powerless, when we come to worship and ignore them, we're behaving just like the Israelites in this passage. The Israelites who God is saying are not doing what they need to do, what they're called to do. And God even says that that's sinful. And God accuses them of forsaking the commandments. So some of you may be thinking, well, that's the Old Testament. Those commandments and all those rules, they were what Jesus came to liberate us from. So surely Jesus took care of all that on the cross. But did you know that Jesus quoted Isaiah more than any other prophet? I'm sure Jesus was familiar with this passage. And if I remember correctly, Jesus had an awful lot to say about taking care of the weak and the vulnerable, just like Isaiah said. And Jesus had an awful lot to say about standing up against people who, who were abusing power, both religious as well as political power, just like Isaiah did. And not only did Jesus say these things, he modeled them for the disciples. And he made sure to tell the disciples that they needed to take care of the least and the lost. Jesus asked them to be his hands and feet in the world. Friends, we are those disciples. We're the ones Jesus is speaking to. We are the hands and feet today. And to say that Jesus wasn't political is, is to ignore all the ways that Jesus stood up to those in power. To say that social justice wasn't important to Jesus is to ignore what Jesus taught and what Jesus did. And to argue that those topics don't belong in church quite simply doesn't follow what scripture tells us to do. Another reaction that I've heard from a couple people is that you're overwhelmed by the amount of need in the world right now. 
and I think you're so right. It can feel that in every direction we turn, there's another good cause seeking our attention. It, it kind of puts you in a frozen state. So what do we do when we're so overwhelmed by the needs of the world that we don't know which way to turn ourselves? This is how I felt a couple of years ago, and I had a great conversation with a friend of mine who was a pastor. I didn't know where to turn. And this friend said to me, Lisa, choose one thing, one cause, and do all you can for that one cause. Just focus on one thing. Acknowledge that there's a lot of need out there, but just choose one. And so I did that, but I have to admit I cheated a little bit, honestly. Because my husband and I sat down and we each chose different causes. And of course, we celebrate the others or we, we support the work of the others. So we kind of have two. But I hope you won't hold it against me that I cheated. Remember I said God is calling us to this work, not you alone. And if each one of us just chose one thing, just think about, about how much we could collectively change. God called us to this work. And I know a few of you have said to me, I have room for more on my plate. I'm not busy. I can do more. I just retired. I don't have children at home anymore. Only you know the size of your plate. Only you can figure out that, that fine line between a full plate and an overfull plate. And I don't know about you, but for me, it's a fine line. Mine can tip pretty easily. But I also want you to watch out for something. When I first came back to Westlake three years ago, you all were just implementing the Healthy Church Initiative rec recommendations. And I read through that document, and one of them really stuck out for me, and it's one that I've tried to keep in mind. The recommendation was to winnow away some of the programs here that were no longer sustainable. The report said we were a danger of being a mile wide and an inch deep. We had programs that were no longer receiving the, receiving the attention and support that they once had, and the volunteers that were committed to those efforts were frustrated and burnt out. Not only that, we had a lot of programs that were duplicates. So the rec recommendation said, instead of supporting, say, every program in Austin that clothes people in need, what about just choosing one? Choose one and make really big impact in that area. I think that's really good advice for the church, but also for our own lives. I mean, if we all try to tackle everything, we're very likely to get nothing done. So know what you have to offer. Make a list. List your goals in that one area. And work towards achieving those goals. Only add something once you've achieved your goals or once the problem itself has gone away. I mean, can you imagine that one day we could all sit around and say, yep, homelessness, check, done, solved, let's move on. Wouldn't that be beautiful? But a thing to remember, in the course of your work, when you've checked off all your goals and it's time for the project to move to someone else's plate, or simply for you to let it go. 
it's really okay to do that sometimes. Sometimes we're called to let go. Sometimes the most faithful thing we can do is let go. There's another phenomenon I see in this church. And I see it and I recognize it so well because it's my own personal cross to bear. I keep filling my plate and overfilling it. A few... A new need crosses my path, a new organization to help, and I reach out and grab it. It's it's a temptation that borders on addiction for me. There's so many good causes out there. And I've had to learn that this is a very unhealthy practice. I do have a big plate, and I can handle a lot. But if I'm not careful, if all my good works burn me out, I can't be effective at solving anything. And I begin to resent the many good things that are demanding my attention. I begin to let balls drop. And I need to remind myself that God doesn't intend that I, Lisa, solve every social justice issue on my own. Because God has work for us to do as a community. So why do we do it? Why do we engage these social justice issues? It would be so much easier to let someone else figure it out. But I think the passage in Isaiah really explains that well. The passage says we do it because the Lord will guide us continually and provide for us even in parched places. God will rescue our bones. We will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring of water, that won't ever run dry. Like a spring of water that won't ever run dry. These waters of justice that we have built up this year that began flowing at our baptism will flow in and through our lives, blessing us now and always. This is a closed loop system. We come to worship. We're transformed by what we experience. We go out and transform other lives and in gratitude come back and worship again 